Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might provide the roadmap for your journey. On most Thursdays, I am blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many, many tennis players and coaches. Normally on the first Thursday, which of course is today, we talk to Alan Fox. The second Thursday is Coach Chuck Greasy. On the rest of the month, we could talk usually to Dr. John Murray or Coach Scott Williams or Energy Coach Linda DeClaire, Dr. Bryce Young, uh, Ashley Hobson. Coach Hobson is on many times. And we've been blessed to have conversations over the last three and a half years, almost four years now, with coaches like Nick uh, Saviano, uh, Coach Scott Engie, a former high school coach and now college coach, and many other college coaches and high school coaches. We've also had conversations with USTA officials, PTR and USPTA executive directors, and we've even had uh, Florida Tennis Magazine founder and editor Jim Marks on the broadcast, along with other um, uh, executives from different, uh, hang on one second, I think I have, uh, uh, hang on one second, Alan, is that you? Okay, here, give him this number. Okay, hold on a minute, I'll give it to you, Alan. 714, I'm sorry, we just have our uh, right. mentor uh, come in. Coming in, uh, calling in on the wrong number, so we'll just get that straightened out in uh, in a moment there. But as I was saying, uh, we've been uh, gross, blessed to have uh, many people on the uh, broadcast uh, during the last three and a half years. And, uh, of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio and the uh, Yellow Ball Network is that you can listen anytime you choose to, to any of the broadcasts. On Wednesdays, you might listen to Chuck Reese and his American tennis uh, broadcast. Been on for over five years. And now on Sundays, we have Coach's Corner with Randy Blumendale uh, on, and that's uh, each Sunday. I would like to also thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you are missing out on useful information. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through the high school's and colleges. Who knows, together we may wake up that sleeping giant called high school tennis. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think uh, today the uh, the issue came out and uh, I have a two-part article uh, on there. The first part uh, Uh, is in this issue, and then uh, the next issue will have part two, and it's uh, hopefully will answer some of your questions on uh, where have all the American uh, scholarships gone in uh, college uh, tennis. And uh, it's easy to blame the college coaches, but if you read the uh, article, you'll see that the blame goes to, to many, many places, including, you know, basically high school tennis has a lot to do with it, but the blame goes all the way up to uh, Congress and and even as far as the president, as uh, you will see, or I, I shouldn't say the president, I should say presidents, 
a former president. So, uh, as I previously expressed, if you disagree with any of my articles, please email me at Coach Denise at, I'm sorry, Coach Denise dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot, dot net. Who knows, you may read your views in Florida tennis or hear them on one of our um, Coach Denise Sharon tennis broadcasts. Remember, if someone's taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro shop, you can always see the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennismagazine.com. Or in between issues, you can even find Jim March's articles and mine on uh, Facebook at fltennis.com. So I see that... Uh, we have our mentor today on the uh, line. Let me uh, get him in. Coach, how are you? John? Yeah, I'm fine, John. You know, I had a, a, an alternative uh, uh, strategy for people that disagree with you, with your article. Uh, how that? That, why don't they, they, they need to get together and organize a protest at your house and then <laughs> hound you when you go out to restaurants and so forth. <laughs> Until you finally see the light, <laughs> to scare you straight, John. <laughs> very, very good. I'm sure Bobby would love that. <laughs> well, Listen, you, you, don't we... say disagreeable things, then. <laughs> That'll. No, yeah, I know, but you know, at my age, you just—I am who I am. What can I say? As a matter of fact, before we get started, let me give my commentary because I'm not too old to change. And as I promised a few months ago, I would do my commentaries uh, prior to rather than later. And this is a short one today. But, uh, uh, well, let me get started. And most Thursdays you hear me ask uh, if high school tennis is an after-school activity or an after-school sport at your high school. Those of you who read my remarks on Facebook page this week saw my comments about not teaching Western civilization anymore and what I think is a problem. One of those who read my comments asked what that had to do with high school tennis. So let me please try to explain. I believe that communication is the key to coaching. Finding out where your client is in life, where they come from, where they are expected to go is essential. Unless the coach knows how long they have been on their journey, when they started the journey, what direction they have been traveling, and it, it, is, it is really hard for us to determine what is needed to keep them moving forward. You have often heard me explain that when you break down the game of tennis, it's really about time. Coaching tennis, basketball, or business presents the same challenges. There are not enough time for players, team, and coaches to be working with the wrong objectives. Coaching a high school team Communication is especially challenging because of the limited time state high school organizations allow you to work with the teams. Other obstacles might be the school's position and how they see a tennis coach position. And, of course, the third obstacle can be if your region USTA position on high school tennis is one of being a recreational sport or being a competitive sport. So that's my view, um, and I'm always interested in yours. And if you disagree, let me know uh, when. And um, I hopefully that uh, I think when we coach tennis, uh, we're not just coaching forehands and backhands. Uh, I think part of uh, getting helping people through life's journey is important. And uh, today's guest, our mentor today, I think we might get into uh, a conversation. I thought maybe at first that we might get into uh, uh, your book, uh, uh, The Winner's Mind, uh, uh, Competitor's Guide to Sports and Business. But I just read your article last week, uh, Serena Disobeys the Golden Rule of Tennis. 
Um, maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about that and what you mean by that. Well, in my in in my most recent book, uh, Tennis Winning the Mental Match, uh, I I have one chapter that starts out with the, with what I call the golden rule of tennis and and uh-huh. uh, tennis competition, uh, and that is when you play a match, never do anything that doesn't help you win. Okay, uh, and and so if you're thinking of doing something on the court. Uh, you have to ask yourself, is this going to help me win the match? Because that's the object of a competitive tennis match. Uh, and so if it's not going to help you, then you better not do it. And so what Serena did at the U.S. Open uh, disobeyed that rule substantially. In other words, she, she first, uh, whether she was being coached or whether she wasn't being coached, she got a warning for coaching. Okay, just a warning that cost her nothing. Uh, it only meant that she needed to behave herself afterwards. She got a uh, a little indication that she was going to run out of rope if she if she did uh, other things. And so, yeah, nothing happened for a while. This was done earlier. Then she, she in the second set, she got wiped out in the first set. This Osaka lady can really bring it. She, she served harder than Serena, which I haven't seen very often. Uh, and, and, and she just blew her out six, two. And, but, but Serena started to come back in the second set. She was up three, one, a service break. And then apparently got nervous because she double folded twice in that next game and played a terrible game, lost her serve at, at which point she smashed her racket, broke a racket, uh, that that's uh, uh, equipment abuse, and she got a point penalty for that. Now, even a point penalty is not a big deal, okay? I mean, you don't want to lose a point, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, but then, then Serena started to go back to to the 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 warning that she got games earlier, which was a meaningless thing basically for coaching. And she started to attack the umpire uh, for for giving her a warning that she felt was not justified. And she reamed him out up, down, and center. You know, called him a liar and a thief. And a, and she wasn't stopping. And by the end of it, she made such a scene that, that he gave her a game penalty. Okay. And so, I mean, ultimately, she was getting near the end of the second set. Osaka finally just served it out in the end, and, and that was the end of it for Serena. But, but because of, you know, her approach, she started to focus. Instead of focusing on how she was going to come back in the match and how she was going to raise her game in order to make one of her many comebacks, she's historically been very, very good at coming back when she's been down. That's been basically her strong suit. Instead of that, she got embroiled in these issues of whether she was – deserving a warning or whether she wasn't. And then she caused herself a point penalty and then she caused herself a game penalty, all of which would have been obviously disobeying the golden rule of tennis. And that is don't do anything that doesn't help you win. That certainly was going to help her lose, which, which she did. And so uh, it was kind of a, to me, a dramatic example and, and, of course, the reason she did it, you'd have to say, how could somebody, I mean, she's not stupid, and she'd been around the block a few times, how could she be, do anything so foolish in the finals of a major tournament? Why would she do that? And the answer, of course, is that she got emotional. She got emotional. She was losing. She was frustrated. She wanted to win, particularly to prove that she could come back from motherhood and still be the number one woman, and she was losing. And so she got so emotional that she lost track of what the object of the game was. Uh, And to me, of course, I I look at tennis partly as a game, but partly as uh, uh, an example of how you handle the problems off the court as well. And so the golden rule off the court would be keep your goals in mind. And don't do things that lead you away from your goals. 
you know, when you're going to do something, you know, how, how does this, uh, you know, help me reach the goals that I want to reach? And so that's the golden rule of tennis and the golden rule of achievement of any sort is you, you don't do things. The, the winners, you know, there's a lot of reasons to get emotional, but the winners keep a lid on the emotion and their logic system keeps leading them towards their goals, not away from them. Sort of a long-winded answer to your, was that a question? I don't know, but... Anyway, that that was the yeah. essence of the little article I wrote for you. Yeah, that, uh, and, and one, that one other thing I can add, and it kind oh, of sorry, relates sorry. to what my commentary uh, today is about: is the uh, communication so important? And I know over the last couple of years, uh, I'm not sure if you and I have, have always agreed on the fact. Maybe because I'm old now and I can't hit the ball no more. But uh, I think more of the mental issues and the communications. I mean, there's so many emotional triggers. I, I would, you know, I'm suspecting, you know, that when you get at that level, and I don't know because I've never been at there, but your your personal value is like it's being violated. It's, uh, you know, I'm, well, you've always, you said it off, and she, you thought she was the greatest uh, woman a tennis player. Well, now all of a sudden she's being challenged, and you can see where that's going to trick her emotions. Yeah, well, she and I still believe she's probably the greatest female uh, tennis player ever. I mean, just in terms of equipment. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, historically, her her emotional system has been her somewhat of a downfall. I mean, when she's lost it'll usually be because she's choking or getting angry. Uh, I mean, she did this before at the U.S. Open uh, with Kleisters. I forget what the incident was, but she attacked a linesman when she was losing, and I, maybe she got defaulted. I don't remember what the upshot of it was. But uh, She got called a football, and then she threatened to put the racket up the linesman's throat. And, and, she and so what man. happened then? It was, actually, it was a woman, and she was an Asian woman. And and did she get – what was the punishment for that? Well, you know, that was my uh, September 13 commentary, which I quoted you in my commentary a few times because I thought you hit it on the head. But I really believe – I don't have a problem with Serena. I mean, I have a problem with what happened – but my biggest concern was the USTA, the way they handled the situation, people looking to make excuses and everything. Tennis is a tough game. It's meant to be tough. It's an emotional game. And, uh, of course, one of my disagreements with all you great doctors that you all know, talk about mental toughness, I don't believe there is such a thing as mental toughness. I use the term mental resiliency. You know, you've got to try to be resilient because at some point, just like everybody's going to choke, I think at some point everybody's going to, uh, if, if given the chance, they're going to have their emotions. They're, they're not going to be tough. They're not going to be able to control them all the time. Well, I, I think that's one of the things that separates the greats from the not-so-greats. And, and I think overall Serena uh, has managed to control her emotions more often than not. But but tennis matches are inherently emotional, and one of the uh, necessities of reaching high level in tennis is you have to be able to control them. You 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 can't let. I mean, the the emotions of getting angry or frustrated when things aren't going your way that's very natural. The nervous system's wired like that, so you're going to get emotional, or when you're losing, you know, it's very natural to get discouraged. You know, you're down a set and a service break and everything has gone against you. It's very natural to get discouraged. But the great players, they won't allow that. They, their, their logic system trumps their emotional system. The, the weaker players, their emotional system trumps their logic system. Uh, and, and that's true off the court as well. Off the court, you know, you, 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 there's lots of reasons to get emotional. Uh, in that book you mentioned, the, the Winner's Mind, uh, I look at business situations where, uh, you know, a, a, a uh, person trying to sell something uh, 
could possibly get into an argument with a customer. Well, mm-hmm. that's, you know, emotionally, you may feel that you're justified and you want to argue your point and so forth. Well, yeah, but that's where the emotional system and the logic system, you know, separate. The logic system would say, what you do is you're trying to make a sale, not win an argument. Uh, but plenty of people lose track of what their goals are in the real world also. And, and they let their emotion, you know, drive the ship. And they get into trouble. Uh, uh, just to, to, to elaborate slightly on what you were saying about the USTA, one of the things that I found most disappointing, I mean, uh, in the whole Serena thing, was the the uh, actions of the USTA uh, and and uh, some of the Chris Everett and and uh, uh, I forget who else maybe Mary Jo Fernandez they, they backed up Serena Serena was claiming afterwards I mean here's here's the weird thing I mean after the emotion's over and you're off the court you should know what you did I mean basically what Serena did was she was losing she got emotional. And, and she, she did a bunch of counterproductive things. After it's over, you should go, God, how did I do that? I screwed up. But instead, Serena went into the press conference and started claiming she was doing it uh, to, uh, for women's rights, that the men don't get uh, called for coaching like the women do. In fact, that's 100% wrong. More men are called for coaching than women. But but the fact that she did that, that wasn't why she, she blew up at the umpire. She blew up at the umpire. We all know she blew up because she was losing and couldn't take it. Uh, and, and the USTA and, and, and the announcers should have called her on it, uh, but they didn't. Uh, and, and that brings me to maybe the, the greater point of it, and that is the, the announcers – have more reason to be friendly with Serena than they do to be friendly with Ramos, the, the umpire. In other words, I think uh, the USTA would like Serena to play Fed Cup and the announcers would like to be able to interview Serena. So they're, they're, they selfishly took Serena's side in the argument rather than the umpire's side because what do they care about Ramos? They care about uh, cozying up to Serena. Uh, and so that's what they did. And, and that's a very unfortunate uh, sort of format where you, you give up what's right in order for what is to your best interest. And, and, and that's what I felt those people did. Well, I agree with you. And, and, and matter of fact, the last sentence in my commentary on September 13 is that uh, and I could, and I do believe that competition is not a dirty word. It's it's hard, but it's important. And at Martina Navatrola, I I I really think that she made the best comment. She said, yeah, "She was that, great." Uh, yeah. The USTA should have simply said to Serena, "If you guys, even if guys do it, it's wrong." And that was my quarrel, is I think we started marketing the bad boys of tennis, uh, and you played with some of those bad boys. And I, you know, I enjoyed all of it. I Personally, and we all have different personalities, I didn't really enjoy those bad boys that much. I enjoyed the game of tennis. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe my wife's right. Maybe I'm an oddball. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, you know, I, we promoted these bad boys, and now as coaches in college and in high school, we're trying to develop character and we're trying to develop talent, uh, and we, don't, we have limited time to do it and to get the communications we need, and I think we're fighting now against the USTA and uh, marketers that saying, oh, this is what the people enjoy. You know, and we forget about the game of tennis, which, God, it's a great game. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful game for the life lessons you learn. And, and both of my boys played tennis, and I, I encouraged it, not because I gave a darn whether they were great players. They weren't going to be. Uh, but because I knew it would teach them things that they can't learn off the court. 
mm-hmm. I, I wanted them in, in tennis. You do learn, you have to learn to control your emotion. And, and, and that's a very valuable lesson. And, and you have to learn that, that hard work leads to, you know, uh, improved performance. And, and I, I think tennis teaches you that you got to go out there. It's a technical game. And so you have to learn the strokes and you have to repeat them over and over. And it might not be that much fun in the learning process, but you have to do it if you want to, if you want to become a better player. And, and that's a great lesson for business or anything else. You know, hard work. You have to learn to, to take disappointment in tennis. You know, you're going to lose most tournaments. You're not going to win every tournament. So you're going to get beaten. You have to be able to uh, come back from that loss and do something about it. You know, you have to analyze, why did I lose? Oh, my backhand was weak. I mean, I don't know if you remember the story of Bill Tilden, who was one of the all-time great players, but he lost in the finals of the U.S. Open to little Bill Johnston because Johnson attacked his backhand, which was a slice, and it it wasn't good enough to fight off a net attack. And so Tilden spent the entire winter learning a topspin backhand uh, and a backhand drive. And the next year, you know, he beat Johnson in the final. And he beat him every time after that. But he, he, he took his loss as a learning experience where he, he, he cold, coldly looked at what he did wrong and what he was weak at and, and went and, and spent the hours to fix it. And, and that would be good for Serena. If Serena looked at what happened in this match, she, what she should come off with is, I've got a bit better control of my emotions. That cost me the match for sure. I mean, I might have lost anyway, but I, but I lost my chance to come back because I got emotional. That, that would have been a good lesson for her and others. So tennis teaches you things. You don't, you, it's difficult to learn them otherwise. It takes years and years of life lessons to learn what tennis can teach you in a much shorter time. So it's a wonderful game for that sort of thing, for character. Taking yeah, I, I agree. Courage. And, and, and when you're out, you're out on that court, it's, I always said, uh, matter of fact, uh, my son and I at one time, uh, we, had, uh, we had two courts assigned to us at the Club for Junior Development, and my son put up a sign, the uh, crisis management department. And because that's what it uh-huh. is. Every, uh, you know, you're solving and trying to solve a problem out there all the time. Yeah, I can remember matches, by the way, where everything was going wrong. You know, and I just, you know, I just couldn't control the ball. And, and I just felt like, I'm sick of this. I just like to get off. And the thought entered my mind, you know, when you're on the tennis court, and things are going wrong, nobody is going to save you. Nobody's going to come out here and fix these things. You're going to have to save yourself or you're going to go down. And that's it. You, you, you know that it, 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 it's all on your back to save yourself. And, and that's one of the great parts of tennis. That's why I don't want coaching. I, I don't like the idea. High school coaching is another story. But I don't like the idea on the pro level uh, for coaching. I think Part of the game is, as you say, crisis management. I mean, the, the, the players out there and he or she has to figure out how they're going to fix whatever problem they have all by themselves. And they're going to have to control their emotional system all by themselves. And, and, and I don't feel they, need, they, they should have a coach to come out there and rub them up and, and motivate them and keep them in there if they lose motivation and drive themselves. I think part of tennis is a test of character as, as to how strong you are and how long you can take it and how long you can concentrate uh, and, and keep your will up. And, and I don't like the idea that some third party can come out and bolster you up when you're weak. I think you sh- that, that, that's tough luck. If you're weak, you should lose. That, that, that'd be a lesson to you. Well, you and I have had that conversation before, and you converted me, I will say that. But I am interested um, because I often, uh, 
you know, I think there's some value of coaching, and I think communication is so important. But I notice you and I do something a lot different. I've been a business coach. You're a business consultant, right? Yep. I have been. And can I ask you a question? And I can think of two incidents in my case. Why are you a business consultant rather than a business coach? Well, now now we're talking uh, uh, just wording. I, I, a business okay. coach, well, I'm not it, sure what the difference is. It depends how you, you know, just semantics to me. I mean, I, uh, and I agree. With you. I think business so consultant, too. business but coach. But I think I I just wonder if men have a hard time being coach. I mean, Davis Cup, we don't have a coach. We have a captain. And Fed Cup, we have a coach. Uh, I think of two incidences that happened over the years doing business coaches where I say things didn't go as as good as they uh, should have. In both incidents, they happened after they wanted to make me vice president of something or another instead of being uh-huh. a business coach. And I enjoyed the fact that as a business coach, I always said, I'm giving you advice. You're making the decision. I'm helping you go in the direction you want to go in, and we're going to try to find solutions together. But you've got it's your business. You have to make the solution. In both cases, after I turned down being a vice president, uh, you know, one in about five months, another one, well, less than a year, uh, they didn't need my services no more. So I do have this thing, and maybe in my own head about. Uh, you know, coach, and and I question myself, can women handle the coaching better than men handle the coaching? I mean, is there certain situations where and maybe I'm hung up on that mental toughness. Maybe I'm just not tough enough. I don't know, but I just, I, I, I just don't know if anybody is. Well, I, I, I have comments on two of the, two of the things you, you said. One, uh, as a consultant, uh, you're not in the boat, you know, you're, you're outside of the boat. The, the people you're consulting with are in the boat. Uh, and right. apparently they wanted you to get in the boat with them. And, and you, you were either smart enough or <laughs> didn't want to get in the boat. Uh, you, you give advice as to uh, what they should do, but it's their boat and, and you're not in it. Uh, as a consultant, generally you get paid by the, by the hour, or by the job. Uh, and and the profit and loss of the company is for the people that are in the boat. Uh, right. I mean, as far as giving advice or coaching, I mean the 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 from from uh, the standpoint of having the the recipient uh, receptive to what you say, that's going to depend on on your uh, credentials and how much they respect uh, you know what you're bringing to the party. You know, if they if they respect you enough, they'll listen to what you say and maybe act on it. Uh, an outside person, by the way, in business, uh, if if you're a uh, uh, what should I say, an experienced, intelligent person, uh, you can go into most businesses actually and help them because the right. outside view, you know, the people on the inside are used to doing things the way they do them. And uh, they may have uh, started with a particular system based on how things were 10 years ago. Uh, and, and the environments changed and what they were doing, they may be putting this paper together with that paper for a purpose that, that no longer exists. So often an outside person can come in and see things differently and usually can help a business. Uh, you know, the, the human mind by the way, tends to get into uh, trenches. I, I look at it as like a, a, a trench. The person's down in the trench, and they, they sort of keep moving along in the direction that the trench leads them. They, they don't, it, it takes a bit of an effort to get outside of that and, and see what's going on in a, in a, a broader view. You know, w- we all tend to sort of keep doing things the way we've been doing them because it's comfortable. We know how that works. And if it's not the most efficient, at least it's something that we understand and have been doing it already. 
You know, they, they will tend to not want to do totally new things unless they're pushed by some outside force. So I forgot what the other thing I was going to mention. That, that, that was my, my sort of take on your business consulting uh, statement. Uh, was yeah, there I another just thing you back mentioned? Back to the emotions and what triggers them and everything. I guess one of them could be, you know, the hard part about going in and, and coaching or in business either way is that some people look at it as you're being criticized or they're being judged. Oh, and, yeah. And that sets off something. So, yeah, I understand uh, that, uh, you know, I just think there should be. That's you know, a, by the way, that's me, a good. Go ahead, Alan. I was going to say that's a good comment for parents. Uh, you know, uh, for when, when parents are telling their kids things, I, I've, I, I realize that, that uh, advice and criticism are, are very hard to distinguish as to one versus the other. Uh, and often when you're telling your kids stuff, they take it as criticism when it's really, you mean it as advice. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think, uh, of course, coaching, it's easier with, with a parent and a child. There's more emotion involved in the whole process. Uh, and so advice is going to be taken as criticism more frequently. Uh, but in a coaching situation or tennis situation, I think if the coach has enough credibility, uh, the, the, the uh, player will take it better. It, it, like, like when, when I was coaching Pepperdine, uh, I had a, a, a great deal of credibility at the time because I had been a player. I was better than the guys on my team, or I had been at least. Uh, and I could still play with them in the early days. I could, for a set, you know, stay with most of them, maybe beat most of them. But uh, so that gave me credibility. When I said something, I, I was credible. I mean, when Jim Courier says something to Davis Cup people, I mean, he's got credibility. He's won the French a couple times. Uh, and so, yeah. He he gets credibility based on the fact they know he could play and probably play better than they do. So, uh, and for a business consultant, it, it's the same thing. If you have enough credibility, uh, people will listen. Uh, but uh, but w- one one other, and I'm sort of changing gears here. Uh, ahead, you mentioned Jane. the difference between men and women. Uh, and, and there is a difference in, in my experience and, and, and the experience of my, some of my ex-players who coach women's tennis. Uh, the, the, you, you can't handle the women exactly the way you handle the men. I mean, the men can take, uh, you know, sort of a tough, you know, get out there or I'll kick your butt, you know. You, you do that, I'm pulling you off the court, you know, you can do that more with the men than you can with the women. The, the, the women are a bit more emotional and, and uh, may take it uh, more personally than the guys. The guys, you know, they can duke it out and then forget about it. That with the women, it, it's more, it'll tend to be more personal. So you, the, the guy, to coach the women, you have to have a bit more touch. Although, Touch that wouldn't hurt with the men either, but you can get away without it. I don't think you can be a really good women's coach unless you have, you know, pretty good touch with the people and, and, and the emotional system. No, I think you're right. I mean, I, I know in the high school I always, you know, I always had associate coaches, but I always took the girls simply because I was older and, uh, you know, I just – and maybe remember when I was young, I didn't want to, when I had the men's coaches being associate coaches, well, they had rather handle it than them. But I remember one time a, a young lady that I took to, she was a, a senior, and I had, had her since she was like 10 years old before uh, before I went into high school. I had her privately uh, working. I took her to world, not World Scholar Athlete, but the AAU uh, games around the country and everything, and she had a tendency when she got nervous and everything, and she missed it, she would start laughing, and that was her way that the emotions coming out, and I saw that uh-huh. come in, 
And I called the trainer out. I said, I just want you to stay by me. And she was a woman, the trainer, an outstanding trainer she was. I said, just stand by me uh-huh. during the changeover. What I didn't realize, there was another young lady that was just a sophomore next to me. And when the girl came over to the net, I told her, I said, you know why I have the trainer here? And she says, no. And she started laughing. No, why, coach? I said, because if I hear you laughing again, when I take you off the court, I'm taking you on the football field, and you're going to run and run and run, and she's going to be putting ice in the tub. So when you collapse, she's going to be able to take care of you. Do we understand each other? And she went out, and she was okay. But this other girl behind me, I realized, and she said, Coach, I thought she was ready to cry. She said, I don't know what I'd do if you said that to you. And I said, I wouldn't say that to you. <laughs> you know, but I made sure I always had a woman with her for the next two years because I could just sense that she was uncomfortable whenever I talked to her. So I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I do a lot of consulting with young players. Uh, and, and this is sort of, what should I say, against what I said before. Uh, but but I, I, I must say I like consulting with these young, uh, very driven female tennis players. Young ones, they, they tend to be, I mean, I've, I've worked with some really young ones, 10, 11, uh, and, and the gals tend to be, you know, very precocious. I mean, they, they seem to understand everything. They're very, very sharp when they're very young. Uh, although I, I, I also have to say that most the, the kids that I work with are generally these very driven kids that go to academies and stuff. And, and all of them, I, I, I must say, are, I, you know, are different than the average person. I, I have great respect for them. Because they're so driven. I mean, these are the kind of kids, even whether they get to be great tennis players or they don't, these are the kind of kids that will be so successful in life, it isn't funny. You know, they can't realize actually how different they are from most people. I mean, these are kids that will, you know, practice four hours a day for 10 years. I mean, what normal person is going to do that? You know, these are very driven people. And when they get into anything, you know, whether it's the professions or their teachers or their whatever, they're going to they're going to work harder than 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 anybody else. And they're going to get very good at what they do. So uh, I don't know. The, the young girls are particularly precocious and they get it early. But all of them that that are willing to go to these academies and lay it on the line like that. I I I I know will be very successful in later life, whether they're tennis players or they aren't. No, I I agree with you because they're special people, and that's why I say I really believe you know time is important in tennis and basketball, but it's also important in coaching because we can't forget that they're all individuals and everybody and we all have different personalities and they're the same way. I remember a young lady at the World Scholar Athlete Games, I'd be coming from a basketball thing, and she was a basketball coach up at, uh, we, we used to have the games every four years at the University of Rhode Island. And I got talking to her about, she was still in uh, uh, college. She was just, uh, just a freshman going in, and she was one of the coaches, and nice. So four years later, lo and behold, I see her there. So I go up and we're having lunch together at the, you know, in the um, at the university. And I'm talking to her, and I said, I seen that you transferred. Why? I said, was the coach tough on you? And he says, no. And she says, actually, he was a lot like you. <laughs> he says, everything was young lady and this and everything. He says, I, I'm a lady, but he's, I'm an athlete. I'm a basketball player. Jesus, I wanted to be treated uh-huh. like a basketball player. So, you know, you, and and that was part of my learning process years ago because I realized, hmm, you, you know, they are all different. I, I, you know, we, we could talk about what the norms usually are, 
but you have to get to know the individual, and I think that just takes time, and and uh, you know that's why time is just so precious. And maybe I'm appreciating it more than I'm getting older. I don't know, but uh, uh, and that's what well, you're very right time. about that about about reading the person. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking uh, one of my one of my failures as a coach. Uh, I had one guy on my team who was just a a wonderful athlete and and potentially a great tennis player. He he, he was great at the net, great serve volley guy, uh, quick hands, you know, tr- wonderful doubles player, uh, and and he started staying back on the baseline too much i thought okay i wanted him at the net where he was you know dominant much better you know but for whatever reasons i don't know why he was staying back and so i i would push him to go in you know you need to go in more so and so uh and what i didn't realize and i found out later is that uh, he'd had a, a, a sort of a disciplinarian father uh, who, you know, I guess had been rough. And so when I was trying to push him to go to the net, he resisted. He dug his heels in. And the more I told him to go to the net, the more he stayed back. And, and for, uh, you know, it was somewhat early in my coaching. I just, it never occurred to me that, you know, if it isn't working, stop. I guess it goes along with when you're digging a hole, you know, and, 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 and you know, and you don't want to be in the hole, stop digging. You know, I, I, I should have realized when it wasn't working that I needed a different approach, you know, not a pushing him approach. I should have laid off, but I didn't, you know. And so, I mean, eventually he went in, you know, as much as he was going to go in, but I, I realized later, I guess I wasn't as good a coach as I thought because I, I didn't see this right away. I, you know, smart coach would have backed off sooner. Anyway, uh, as a psychologist, I, you know, that's an embarrassing thing to do. I should have been better. Well, but that's anyway, what life lessons are about, Joe, and that's why you did become better, and that's why you are who you are today, right? I mean, why we all yeah, looking to contact you for advice because we know who you are, but who you are now is not who you were 50 years ago. That's correct. That's correct. Hopefully, if your eyes are open, you learn things the hard way. You learn them the hard way. And that, it, it is an interesting one when you talk about experience. You know, experience is a great teacher. Uh, it is the hard way to learn. You know, it's better if you don't. But, but one thing about getting experience, like I'm, I'm pretty old now, okay? So I've been around the block 10 million times. And, <laughs> and when, when you, if you have enough experience and your eyes are open, you don't have to be that smart even, you know? You don't have to figure things out. All you have to do is remember. You have to remember what happened in, in, in this case and that case. You know, when, when you're young and coming up, and, and you want to predict what's going to happen, you better be pretty smart because you have to figure it out logically. As you've gotten older and you've been around the block enough times, all you have to do is remember what happens in this case and that case. So I guess experience is a great one for, for us if we're not all that smart and didn't figure it out logically the first time. Well, for those younger people coming in now, I mean uh... – they want to, you know, understand the golden rule of uh, tennis, and they can go to the winner winner's mind, and uh, they can learn how to uh, compete in sports and business. Uh, but let me get to ask you a question, and that I'm just wondering: Am I am I wrong in thinking, or is there a better way? Because I don't know if people are right or wrong, but is there a better way than uh, could we avoid it, Serena's problem if we had sat there and just enforced the rules and not sometimes and sometimes not? It disturbs me now when I hear about the officials thinking they need protection and now want to form a union. 
to me, it's a simple solution. Let's enforce the rules for everybody. Don't make rules unless we, uh, we're going to enforce them. And I, we're, what can you add to that to make it uh, easier than the direction I want to go? Well, I think uh, it, to the extent that, that the rules can be the same for everybody and they're enforced all the time, and that's probably the best strategy. Uh, I think whenever uh, one of the one of the arguments Serena made was, uh, and and the USTA backed up was that the, that that the enforcement was not consistent, and so Serena had a loophole. She said, "Well, it, you know, enforcement is not consistent. Sometimes you enforce, and sometimes you don't." And I was thinking of that, and I'm thinking, you know, whenever you have human beings making decisions uh, and there's any uh, discretion involved in it, uh, there's always going to be unequal enforcement. I mean, that, that, that was one of the gripes, and that's one of the, you know, things that's hard to get around. I mean, it, it, it's hardly possible to make rules that are so good that that you just enforce them blindly and and that's the best of all worlds i mean often when rules are made the people that make the rule can't think of every possible contingency and so they leave like judges have a certain amount of 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 uh leeway when they're when they're coming down and enforcing the laws Okay, because the people that make the laws can't, you know, have every possible situation in mind to begin with. Uh, so it's a tricky problem, uh, the the idea of unequal enforcement. And and in fact, Serena went both ways, uh, you know, or, or people that that supported Serena. One of the things they said, and you probably read it, was, well, uh, Ramos should have uh, tried to calm her down you know, should have given her a soft warning on the, uh, uh, on the coaching, you know, try to calm the situation down rather than just enforce the rules. Well, that's a very tricky one. Before that happened and they got criticized. Yeah. It's a very tricky one. I mean, if, if you're not going to have any discretion in enforcement, then the rules better be, you know, all encompassing and very well thought out and inclusive of everything that could happen so that, that you can enforce them regardless. So it, it, it's a tricky situation as to whether, you know, you, you, you have unequal enforcement or whether you just enforce under all circumstances. That, that, that's a tricky question. You, you, you ask tricky questions, John. And, and that's actually <laughs> trickier than you would think. Huh? <laughs> I used to be a lot smarter when I was younger. Now I have more questions and I don't have the answers. So that's why I have you on that one. Yeah, well, you got tricky ones. You throw in these curveballs. <laughs> that's uh-huh. something that's somewhat unanswerable, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah. in general, it's best if you stick to the rules as best you can uh, for everybody. Uh, I think that that would be better. Uh, I, I think the, the, if, if there's a balance in the whole situation, I think the balance has leaned more towards too much discretion rather than too little. If, if we're talking balance, I would say it'd be better with less discretion and, and more enforcement, but, you know, not a hundred percent just more rather than less. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree with you. Uh, Any uh, last comment? We just about shot a whole hour again. I I enjoy talking to you too much sometimes. I I think, uh, is there anything you want to get into before we go off the air? Uh, I think I pretty much, uh, you know, downloaded the, the contents of my mind on these, on the topics that, that, that you brought up, John. I mean, I, I just add one last thing that maybe I've said this before. 
and and that is, you know, I was a bit of an academic when I was younger, especially before I started playing tennis. Uh, in my 12, 13 years old, I didn't start playing tennis until I was almost 14. And so in my early days, I was a, a very, very good student. And, and, and I remember thinking about sports, that, that sports is a, a sort of a, an appendage and not, not as valuable as learning, uh, you know, math and science and so forth, that the sports was a lesser important activity. But as, as I've lived longer, I realize that actually sports is probably more important. What, what people learn on the tennis court is actually even more important than any single thing they learn in school because it teaches you how to live life more. And, and I, I probably use what I learned on the tennis court more than I learned. I was a physicist, actually, undergrad, by the way. But I, I don't use that. I don't use my math. I don't use my physics nearly as much as I use what I learned on the tennis court. So I, I just want to emphasize the value of these, uh, not just tennis, but any sport where, where you have to work and practice and, and lose and win and work with other people, all of that is probably more realistic to life than maybe any single thing you learn in school. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. I, 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 my own bias, I tend to agree with you. Uh, and I also thank you for uh, getting up uh, early to uh, be on uh, the broadcast. Uh, I look forward to us uh, talking again uh, next month. Uh, it's uh, always a privilege uh, for me to do that. And uh, I, why don't you, just before we leave, uh, just tell the people how to get a hold of you. Uh, those of you, you that are on the air uh, that haven't read any of Dr. Allen, uh, Dr. Fox's uh, books, I, uh, I advise you to go out and get them today. And I'm, I'm sure you can still get them on Amazon because I picked up one of them, well, I'm losing track of time as I get over to probably over a year ago now, but I'm assuming that I'm assuming they still uh, uh, can get them there. Am I right? Yeah, they're available on Amazon. Uh, the book, the crossover book, uh, business and sport is called uh, the winner's mind, a competitor's guide to sports and business success. Uh, and the more recent one that's just on tennis is called tennis winning the mental match. Uh, and they're available at Tennis Warehouse uh, or Amazon or my website, uh, where I have a bunch of articles you can read as well. My website is alanfoxtennis.com. Uh, and so it's .com, not .net, but .com. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and uh, as far as consulting, uh, if you want to reach me for consulting, my my email is Alan Fox Fox, twice my last name, uh, on msn.com at msn.com. So those are w- the ways to get me. So there you Very have it, John. Good. Thank you for 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 inviting me to speak on your on your program, John. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to share. And, and uh, I remind all you young coaches and uh, parents and players, anytime you get a chance to talk to some of the people like Dr. Alan uh, Fox, he'll sit there and take time, just like he's taking an hour uh, to be with you today. Go out there and rob their minds. You know, ask as many questions as you can. Next week, we have another mentor on. It'll be Coach Chuck Reesey. Uh, he's on the second uh, Thursday of the month all the time. The nice thing about Block Talk Radio, as I said, is you can go on uh, anytime and listen to us. So tell your friends. And remember, you can read my articles in uh, Florida Tennis Magazine. And, um, and matter of fact, the article on... Uh, College scholarships is going to be out this week. So have a blessed week.
tell your friends uh, about the broadcast, and the Almighty willing, I will be talking with you again next week. Bye now.